I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David. This is your new episode of Base Layer, and it's one that I'm very much looking forward to. As we've been exploring this world of NFTs, we spent a lot of time this year talking about decentralized finance, and then we started to really explore things that were happening in this new, although I shouldn't say new because these things have been working on for the last few years, but this new world that seems to be catching a lot of attention in NFTs, this marriage of things that are on smart contracts vis-a-vis Ethereum with digital collectibles, with art and everything else that comes with it. I am very happy that I have Devin Fincher with me today, the co-founder of OpenSea, which is arguably the largest marketplace for these types of digital goods. Devin, how are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me, David. Really looking forward to this again, because this is a world that has taken the digital asset ecosystem by storm. Again, I shouldn't be saying that because as you can appreciate, I know you'll talk to us about this. Teams have been building their platforms for many, many years, many years being five, six, seven years, give or take. Um, and so all of a sudden it just started catching on wildfire here because I think a lot of people have started getting a little disenchanted with some of the things that are happening in DeFi and they wanted to see what else was being out there. But I think it's really interesting because all the while, all the things that were happening in decentralized finance, you and your team were out there building you know, the, the biggest marketplace. So let's talk about that. But before we do that, I want to hear, and I know our, you know our listeners also want to hear, what brought you here? What got you into the world of digital assets? What got you into this marketplace uh, where digital assets meets collectibles and art and everything else in between? Tell us a little bit about yourself prior to OpenSea. What got you into this world? Sure. So I started my career in tech in 2013 when I graduated from college. Um, and I worked at Pinterest uh, for a couple of years. I was an engineer there on the growth team, actually working with um, one of my colleagues who now is also working on uh, an NFT project in the space, uh, Danny from Maker's Place. Um, and that was really my, my start in the tech ecosystem. I learned a lot about how to grow a consumer product. I just became really interested in how people interact with these more sort of social experiences and, and this idea of, um, you know, democratizing uh, the ability to create anything and, and sort of share it online, which was kind of what um, what was what Pinterest was all about at the time was this idea of discovering and creating. Um, so that's how I started my career. I then um, uh, worked on a small startup that was acquired by a company called Credit Karma um, in the U.S. that does free credit score uh, reporting. And there I sort of got more uh, deeper into the world of fintech. Um, and around uh, early 2017 was when I started getting pretty interested in crypto and blockchain. And at the time, um, there was just a lot of excitement and people were kind of trying to figure out what it was all about. There was obviously a lot of hype and a lot of um, fundraising going on. 
Um, but for me, I think I was most interested in what were sort of the more kind of use cases that could have real uh, utility for regular people who aren't necessarily traders or aren't necessarily deep into the world of finance, but still, um, you know, what, what does this technology mean for those types of folks and how does it like really change the landscape of how people interact with uh, web applications and, and different consumer experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, when CryptoKitties got on the scene in late 2017, that was sort of this aha moment where, um, you know, it, it was an application that, that wasn't really just about trading or just about prediction markets, just about these sort of like somewhat esoteric concepts. It was, uh, you know, it was a real game that, you know, my mom could appreciate and, and play around with. Um, right. So that set us, set me and my co-founder down the path of thinking about what are the other things that um, could emerge from that type of ecosystem. And, and that led us to build this sort of generic marketplace for digital assets. Right. So OpenSea is currently the largest general marketplace for user-owned digital goods. And I believe the broadest set of categories, 200 and growing. So if you could maybe distill that a little bit, what kind of categories? Because for those that are learning, it, it, it has been arts. It's been some form of collectible. It's been you know some other different things out there. So what are some of these categories? So people are starting to get familiar with that. And over 4 million items, I believe. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the kind of taxonomy of these categories. You know, how that kind of breaks down, how you are kind of, as I said, distilling these different categories. And then I want you to discuss this idea of a decentralized marketplace. So if you think of Amazon, you think of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> um, but, you know, with OpenSea, it is the idea of a decentralized marketplace uh, leveraging smart contracts and protocols. So again, first and foremost, talk to us about these categories, 200 and growing, how you are breaking those down and distilling them down. The, you know, obviously the 4 million uh, different items on there, but then again, the decentralized marketplace, how that actually functions and how that actually works. Sure. Yeah. So to start with the, um, uh, the idea of, you know, what are the categories of NFTs that are out there? Um, it's really interesting to see the space shift and evolve over time. So it obviously started with CryptoKitties and CryptoKitties really inspired a lot of folks from sort of the gaming collectible space to explore other similar ideas uh, to CryptoKitties. So we obviously had um, a ton of kind of clones come on the market, things like CryptoBots, uh, Ether Tulips, Crypto Celebrities, a lot of things that started with, with the term crypto, right? Um, and those were all these, all sort of collectibles, game items, things like that, but they were pretty primitive experiences. Um, but what, you know, from there, um, what other people sort of started to realize, and some of the projects had already kind of been exploring this, um, was there was this whole landscape of things that could be represented as non-fungible tokens as, as these digital assets. So um, now what the space looks like is this really diverse uh, set of things, um, you know, everything from a uh, event ticket to a domain name, to a piece of digital art, uh, to a game item, to, um, you know, even people are selling uh, advertising space uh, as, as non-fungible tokens as well. So what's really powerful about this technology is that um, there's this common standard, which is this standard of ownership and property rights associated with all of these different assets, regardless of what those assets represent, right? So this asset could represent you know, 
a piece of real estate for all we know, but it still has those same um, those, those same baked in property rights that you know a game item has. Um, so if we look kind of at the landscape right now, um, the the biggest thing that has taken off recently has been this idea of digital art, right? Where you're creating a piece of art and you're saying this art is associated with a specific address, and then you're able to trade that and have a more liquid market than you would normally with um, with something digital where it's easy to copy and paste it. Um, and so that's that's a really interesting use case because it's relatively simple, right? It's you know something where you can kind of come on, you can create this piece of digital art, and then you can go and sell it. Versus the other sort of use cases like domain names, uh, game items, virtual real estate, those types of things, they've been building up gradually over time. Um, but there's a little more that sort of needs to go into those projects uh, to make them really kind of deliver on their utility. Um, but I'm personally really excited about um, as we develop more and more scalable infrastructure for these things, for those other use cases that you know represent real, real things or at least real digital things um, to sort of take off. So that answers sort of the first question around um, what are the different categories and i would say at a high level it's just you know it's very broad and it's very wide and this is very general generic uh tech um and then in terms of the question around what does it mean to have a decentralized marketplace so the idea of a of a decentralized marketplace versus a centralized marketplace is that instead of um going to a central party and saying I want to sell this particular item at this price and storing that order essentially in a database. Um, instead of doing that, uh, you could actually broadcast an order to a whole network of marketplaces. And the, the settlement of that order actually happens through a blockchain. So um, instead of a situation where, you know, at some point in time, the marketplace is, is holding custody of the asset and holding custody of the payment that is going to be used to buy that asset, the um, particular transaction that swaps both the asset and the payment happen in a single blockchain transaction. And what's really interesting about that is that the user can retain self-custody of the asset while it's on sale. So they're just signing a message to say, I want to broadcast this um, and I want to sell this at this price. And, and then there's no sort of counterparty risk associated with the trade. Either the trade happens um, in a single transaction or the, um, or the trade doesn't happen, right? And the, and the assets remain in the hands of the original owners. And so it sort of solves a lot of those problems associated with uh, traditional marketplaces where um, you know, you do have a lot of credit card fraud. You're not you're you're not always sure whether the payment came through. You're not always sure whether the asset was delivered. Um, all of that sort of happens natively on a blockchain. Um, but of course, it comes with the trade-offs that uh, you know this is still pretty early technology, um, and the throughput of the network is obviously you know pretty constrained. Uh, so it comes with with challenges as well. So it sounds like a DEX. Is that fair to say? Exactly. Yeah. It's a it's a sort of the marketplace equivalent of a DEX. And, and so with that, a DEX is typically run on a protocol, but here's the thing that I, I think would be interesting for people is that in the real world, air quotes, uh, not the metaverse, if you will, what happens if there's a dispute? What happens if you have a buyer and a seller and you know the buyer is actually not that good of a person? You know, let's, let's just say that 
there's multiple different questions there. Is there a reputation score or a methodology for reputation that you have developed that would be really interesting there? And then two, for disputes, you know, have there, have there been any disputes and how would you actually resolve those disputes? Right. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is that the types of disputes uh, you see with this, with these sort of decentralized models, uh, some of them overlap um, with sort of the traditional disputes, but then some of them are like, you know, some of them are solved and some of them are kind of different types of things. So to give you kind of an example, um, you know, we never have a situation where some, because we, you know, we deal with crypto natively and we sort of leave the on-ramp into crypto um, to, uh, you know, to other parties, uh, you know, ability to buy on Coinbase or buy on Wire, on WinPay, all of these sort of great on-ramps. Um, we never have to deal with a situation where, you know, someone says that they bought something with a credit card, but then there's a chargeback. Um, so those types of problems are solved. Um, the types of problems that do come up is, well, you know, let's say someone um, mints a piece of digital art that's exactly identical to another piece of digital art um, and then puts it on sale and says that it's sort of this original piece of art that, you know, was minted quite a long time ago, right? then a buyer could potentially get very confused by that and buy this sort of knockoff or fraudulent piece of art and complain about something like that, right? And that is something that we have seen in the market where, um, you know, there'll be a popular project. Uh, recently, there was a really cool NFT project called Meme um, where you would own these trading mm -hmm. cards and people were sort of minting fraudulent versions of these in a very similar vein to you know, creating a counterfeit piece of physical art, right? Mm -hmm. So those types of problems, we now that the market has matured a little bit, we are starting to see them pop up. Um, but what's really exciting is that these are all highly solvable problems, right? And so we have some, you know, very blunt, unsophisticated tools for doing this right now, um, which work decently well, right? We, um, we're introducing the ability to flag items on OpenSea. So if you see something that, you know, is clearly not um, associated with the actual original piece you can flag it and it's very easy to tell that it's not an original because of course it has a different smart contract address right it's not on the sort of original smart contract and so dealing with these problems of fraud and um uh you know forgery are actually like sort of what the blockchain is really good at um, but it definitely does require um having you know some parties kind of step in and say uh and, and you know at least present to the users um, what address this, this particular uh, asset is associated with and allow people to kind of take down things that are clearly, um, you know, malicious or, or fraudulent. And so you, you alluded to something prior where you said effectively that, you know, you alluded to the Ethereum problem, if I want to call it that. Again, everyone knows I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm not an Ethereum maximalist. I'm a knowledge maximalist. And so I give air to everyone out there that is coming up with a viable product and a viable platform. But as we know, Ethereum, because of the, obviously the utilization of DeFi has been higher gas, has been higher pending transactions. And so I'm curious, as you are building a robust ecosystem here, you have a DEX and, you know, even if you go on your website, you can see the rankings of the different categories out there. You know, Rarible is at the top there. We just had Alex on the show. So are you chain agnostic? Or if not, you know, what are your thoughts about different chains and the interoperability challenges there? 
Yeah, we're we're definitely excited to see the sort of Cambrian explosion of uh, new chains come onto the market. Um, and we're certainly at the moment we're just on Ethereum because that's sort of where all of the activity has happened so far. Um, but you know, longer term, we definitely see sort of an ecosystem and web of chains emerging. Um, and one thing that I think is really interesting to think about um, with regards to uh, new chains and sort of what's happened on Ethereum. Uh, a great analogy I heard recently from a friend of mine was this idea that um, a lot of the applications that were built on Ethereum um, sort of adapted to the limitations of that ecosystem, much like um, I think he was saying the, the um, it was like the horned toad, the horned toad adapts to a desert, right? So that it develops all of this um, sort of, you know, it tailors itself to, um, for example, deal with an environment where gas fees are really high, where transactions are expensive, where everything is really slow. And this is, you know, if you look at something like Uniswap, right, the fact that um, it's not an order book based DEX, but rather an automated market maker is sort of a product of the environment of Ethereum. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to think about is like, you know, now what if you move sort of from this desert environment into more of a rainforest environment where, you know, uh, transactions are cheap, uh, you know, things are fast, everything's sort of more of an abundance time environment. What sort of applications could you then build uh, in that? And maybe the, you know, maybe the Uniswap of the um, of the desert uh, doesn't really actually make a lot of sense. Maybe, maybe it's something kind of completely different. So right. at a high level, I'm really excited to see sort of how the design space for these different applications widens as we introduce chains that sort of have different trade-offs between um, security and throughput and and allow people to create sort of more interesting things. Um, and at OpenSea, I think, you know, we're, we're not, um, we, we are sort of, you know, related to the DeFi space, um, but we're not sort of um, a purely financial application, right? And for consumer level applications like games to take off, they do require, um, you know, a higher throughput environment where more more stuff can happen quickly on chain. Um, and so I'm really excited to see projects like Flow and, um, and you know, some of these uh, side chain solutions, some of these scalability solutions uh, push the envelope and allow people to build other sorts of things. So let's talk about, you alluded to again, something that I think will brings us to another point. So it's not just a financial marketplace where buyers and sellers meet and they kind of buy. You can also mint things on OpenSea, correct? That's correct, yeah. Talk to us about that. So if someone is out there and says, oh my goodness, I've been you know, out there as a creator, let's just say they are a painter, um, and let's just say maybe their paintings are really not, you know, they're not flying off the, uh, the, the shelves, and they realize that they could have a greater output uh, lower cost of probably cost of goods and all the other things that go into making fantastic pieces of art, you know, doing things digitally, you know, at home per se. Um, let's just say they're listening right now and they said, well, this is great. You know, I don't really understand the whole world of Ethereum or different chains out there, but I'm looking for a place to actually, you know, maybe be a creator and have someone help me, you know, market these things. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so I think it's a great opportunity for creators right now. I think this is, um, you know, it's kind of a brand new market. It's a really exciting opportunity to establish yourself, um, you know, even if you don't have a following right now to really like, uh, 
regardless of whether you're a creator, an influencer, or um, you know, just an enthusiast, like I think it's it's a perfect time to get more deeply involved in the space. Um, in terms of kind of what what we provide and um, and how creators can get involved in kind of directly selling on OpenSea, um, we do have a, a storefront creator tool. So um, you can come onto OpenSea, you can kind of create your own storefront, um, and you can mint your items onto it. So we have a, a number of folks who have um, who have you know done that and have had very successful sales of of their digital art um and and the other kind of exciting thing is that we provide the most robust sort of mechanisms for selling your uh your art so not only do we provide a way to sell at a fixed price um but we also provide a way to sort of ebay style auction your art to the highest bidder um we even provide something called a dutch auction which allows you to start your art at a certain price and then have it decline over time. Um, and uh, we allow people to bundle uh, assets. So you could sell uh, assets one at a time, but then also have sort of a package deal. So we have this whole suite of features that is sort of uh, great for like experimenting with how to, um, how to distribute your art. Another thing that we've seen a lot of folks do who, who get deeper into the DeFi and NFT spaces they actually create their own ERC-20 tokens. Um, so one example of this is uh, a guy named uh, Whale Shark, who's one of the biggest uh, NFT collectors out there. Um, he has created his own token with its own tokenomics. Uh, I'm not familiar with like all of the intricate details of how it works. But one thing that he does is he'll actually auction off work on OpenSea denominated in the token. So um, you can go onto OpenSea and if you're an owner of this whale token, um, you can purchase artwork with it. So people are just being incredibly creative. Um, and you know, there's this sort of hungry group of people who are excited about collecting this art and sort of see the long-term vision of um, true ownership over digital art that are just you know really excited to see new artists and creators come on the market. So I think um, yeah, I think it's like a, it's a really great time, um, for folks to get involved. So we didn't prep on this, but maybe you can answer this. I, I think it would be great for people to see that this is not just some sort of niche thing that things are actually happening here. So in the world of, you know, digital collectibles, in terms of dollar amounts, in terms of, you know, things that have gone out there, there's been some ones out there that have been, you know, raising in such a, you know, a Dutch auction or a regular auction, not such insignificant amounts of money are you at liberty to you know talk a little bit maybe if there has been like the highest you know amount for one piece you know piece of art on open sea or what have you have seen you know over the last year or two in terms of kind of dollar amounts some of these digital art you know art pieces i want people to realize that this is not just like you know dollar and cents here this is not five and dime that there's actually some real money that goes into some of these things yeah for sure um so not only just in the sort of uh, digital art space, but also across the space of different types of crypto collectibles, we've had some some really large uh, sales. So um, one of our biggest uh, sales, or our biggest primary sales, um, was the one of one uh, officially licensed Formula One Delta Time uh, race car. So this is actually not just a, a collectible, but something that you can use inside of a game. Um, and that sold for uh, 415 ETH. I can't remember exactly what the price of ETH was at that time, um, you know, but it was over, that sale was over $100,000. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we've, we've also seen, um, it, what's, what's been exciting also has been, um, we've seen really large secondary sales. So that Formula One piece was 
you know, the game was auctioning it off kind of to, uh, to get, uh, players involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we've seen is that people are also able to sell these on a secondary market. So, um, a couple interesting examples of this are, um, we've had a domain name, um, from unstoppable domains, um, recently sell, uh, for, I think it was around 90 K on the secondary market on OpenSea. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously had a, like a bunch of crypto kitties, uh, not on an open sea, but on the crypto kitties marketplace way back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, sell for really high values. Um, and then in the art space, um, we, we've definitely seen some some really high sales. So I think uh, there was an async art piece uh, that sold for 262 Ether. Um, there was, I know Trevor Jones has made some really big sales. There was a CryptoPunk that sold for 140 Ether. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we, we definitely um, see that all the time. And, and I think it's really exciting also to see um, not only the primary sales be high, but also people to actually... Uh, benefit from from the secondary market as well. So again, for those that are listening, not five and dime here. This is hundreds and thousands of uh, you know dollars that are going to some of these things. And so this is definitely a maturing market. And there's probably going to be a day in the future where you're going to see over a million dollars spent on one of these digital uh, items. And I could probably foresee that happening in the next five to 10 years. And so this is a place, and again, one of the things I think that is really interesting in this world, and I know you support this, is in the gaming space. For those that are not familiar with gaming, you better learn because gaming, there's 2.5 billion people around the world that play games every single day. And these games are money sinks, the traditional games. You got kids on there who will do anything to make, you know, to get some money so they can buy the proprietary digital asset so they can, you know, soup up their avatar, their, their character, give them special powers, et cetera, et cetera. And in the traditional world, they don't own those assets. You know, if you give your, your kid 20 bucks to go buy these V bucks or PUBG or other things that are happening in the traditional games, that's it. You don't own that. (laughs) That's $20. That's gone. Um, But the idea here is that if you build something or if you buy something like on OpenSea for a game, it's yours. You own it. That's it. It's it's not someone else's. It's it's yours. And I think you know that. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. One of the, you know that feature there. I think it's probably going to be a massive growth driver, especially with gaming and the relationship with chains. Would you agree? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So this is a whole world that is really interesting. Where can people? Um, you know, they're going to listen here. They're going to want to see what I'm talking about. And check out, you know, some of the things here. Where can people go? Obviously, I know it's OpenSea.io, but you know, for those that are getting new to this world, you know, what do they need to do before they can start really, you know, participating in the marketplace? What do they need to do? Yeah, well, I think um, you know, starting to explore on OpenSea.io is a good, you know, starting place to just kind of see what's out there. Um, we also published a blog post uh, a while back, so you know, some of the information is outdated, but the fundamentals I think are pretty. Um, still extremely relevant, um, called the NFT Bible. Um, it's on our blog. If you go to our uh, opensea.io slash blog, it's one of the uh, links at the top. Um, I also recommend, uh, and so, so that um, has a lot of information just about kind of the philosophy of NFTs. Uh, it, it also talks a little bit about the underlying tech and kind of understanding how these things work underneath the hood. It talks about um, the market. At the time that we wrote that blog post, the market was a lot smaller. Um, so 
we'll probably need to update it at some point. Um, but I think that's a pretty good a good place to start. Um, the other area uh, is our rankings page. Um, so opensea.io slash rankings. And that sort of is a good place to kind of discover um, you know, what are the top trading NFT projects and what are the most interesting things on the market right now. Um, and you really get a sense that there's not, this isn't really just uh, stuff that's, you know, confined to a specific category. Like you don't necessarily have to be a gamer, although being a gamer, there's there's tons of stuff for you if you are, um, but you don't necessarily have to be into art. You don't necessarily have to be into trading cards. There's, you know, a lot of different stuff that you can kind of explore. And I think there's something for everyone here. Um, so yeah, I, I guess my main suggestions would be check out that the blog post we wrote and um, just sort of start going exploring, um, you know, get get a wallet, get MetaMask and, and, you know, get a feel for how these things work. Devin Fincer, the co-founder of OpenSea. Devin, thank you so much for being on with us today. Everyone, please check it out. We'll have call notes there where you can link up to this and you can see everything that Devin's talking about. And uh, let's uh, keep in touch. Let's see how things are going over the next few months because I, I think you guys in the roadmap have some interesting things happening soon. So let's stay in touch. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.